0: Fox talk and this is horse stories with a purpose who are we we are equine educators but we are owners we are judges
1: we are competitors we are coaches we are volunteers we are moms
0: we are horse owners just like you and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and today's story is actually going to be talking about a a respiratory disorder in horses that many of you may not have heard of, which is cicatrix. So joining us from Texas A&M University is Dr. Michelle Coleman. So welcome, Dr. Coleman.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: All right, So, um, excited to have you. So you are an assistant professor right now in the large animal internal medicine, but obviously a horse specialist. Um, and we reached out to you, um, kind of to give you some backstory here. I had had, uh, producer in Oklahoma asked questions about this disease They had a horse had been diagnosed with it. And honestly, I hadn't really heard much about it. Um, And then my colleagues in Texas said, hey, this is a thing. So um, that's why we want to hear from somebody working at the vet school at Texas A&M, because apparently, Dr. Coleman, you do see this quite a bit. Is that correct?
1: We sure do. We see quite a bit of it, um, quite prevalent in our geographic population. And Many of the horses walking through our hospital doors um, on a daily basis are affected with this disease.
0: So you probably need to tell us then, okay, what is it? So we know it has a cool name, (laughs) but beyond that, I think we need a lot of background.
1: Sure. Um, So equine nasopharyngeal cicatrix um, syndrome is the, the true name. We call it cicatrix for short. It is a devastating condition of the equine upper respiratory tract. Um, The word cicatrix is actually Latin for scar, and that's exactly what happens. We see inflammation in scar tissue that basically causes some constriction of the upper airway. Um, Sometimes that just limits the horse's ability to breathe properly, um, but can be so constrictive that it causes life-threatening compromise of the respiratory tract. So this is
0: different than just like equine asthma, or is this potentially like something that could result from that or an entirely different syndrome?
1: Yeah, a really fantastic question. Um, it is an entirely different syndrome. Um, when we think about asthma, that inflammation is generally of the lung, whereas this is the back of the throat and and upper respiratory tract. Um, it's interesting because I do wonder, um, the horses that we see with asthma in, in Texas are often affected with this as well. And I think it would be interesting, nobody's looked at that association, but um, an interesting question of, does it make the asthma worse or is there an association of those two diseases? I don't know the answer.
0: So is this a syndrome, could you draw any parallels to something we might be familiar with, with people or our pets? Do we do we see this in any other species?
1: Yeah, great, another great question. Um, I really can't. Um, I can't think of any other similar conditions in, in us or dogs or cats. Um, cows don't generally get it as far as we know. Um, although to be fair, our level of concern of how fast a cow can run is probably less so than how fast a horse can run. So we maybe aren't looking, um, but we really don't see it in other animals. And, and to make that that analogy, is quite hard. Um, it really is just scar tissue that forms in inappropriate places all the way up the nasal passage and in the back of the throat.
0: So they don't have any other, um, like any other immune mediated scar tissue forming anywhere else. It's just really the upper respiratory tract.
1: That's right. Um, We have not found it in any other locations.
0: Okay well, this is a puzzler. So, <laughs> um, All right. So I've got lots of questions and I think I might just do them randomly and then uh, hopefully we'll hit all of them. So Texas, you said it's regionally dependent. I've only heard of one horse with it here in Oklahoma. What is unique about Texas or do you see it more on a like a wider swath of our coastal region or... Yeah. Tell us about why Texas?
1: Yeah. You know, the geographic distribution is, um, of course, one of the most interesting things um, that people in other parts of the the country or even the world, this is a foreign word to them. Uh, What is this cicatrix thing you Texans are talking about? Um, We don't know why. You know, it really makes us question that is there something in the environment that makes the most logical sense that something about our climate and um, the heat, the humidity, the Something out there in the environment is probably contributing to the cause of disease. Um, what that is, we still don't know. In general, the geographic distribution that I think about is between the I-35 and the I-45 corridor in Texas, from about Houston to Waco. Um, I realize those are probably not highways that <laughs> that everyone recognizes, but um, a small portion of the state is affected. We don't see this in West Texas. We don't see this in the the closer to the Panhandle region or Dallas area. Um, It is very much, the the scope is limited. Um, As you alluded to, there have been isolated cases recognized in other states, um, Oklahoma being one of them, Louisiana, um, South Carolina and Georgia both have some cases as well as Florida. So again, it, it points the direction towards something in the environment, something probably having to do with climate and, and what grows there, but we don't know what.
0: So to help everybody out here that maybe doesn't recognize all of Texas as well with highways, um, so this isn't the super humid like down south in Houston and anything like that. So is this more, I'm trying to draw my uh, highway lines right now too. Are we talking like the hill country? Um, or yeah, I guess. Yeah. Where, where, where is concerned? this?
1: We're considered central, um, but east of the hill country, Okay, but not quite kind of the classic East Texas. We're not that quite far over. Um, so between the hill country and, and quote, East Texas, Louisiana border.
0: And not up into the mega horse populations of North Texas then either.
1: Not really. Nope. The, the Dallas, Fort Worth, Weatherford areas, we generally don't see that, um, that many cases. There's isolated, of course, um, isolated cases, but not to the extent of what we see down here. All right.
0: So how many, and again, you're a teaching hospital. So you guys always get the puzzlers probably that come to you a little bit more than just, um, you know, an everyday vet check. But I mean, do you have an idea of like percentages of horses or like how many cases you would see per year that might actually have this?
1: Yeah, there, you know, there are numbers out there um, based on our, just our hospital data. You're right. We see, you know, a different subset than the whole state probably fairly represents. There's not good data on how many horses in the state of Texas are affected. That's, that's not a number that we have. Um, you know, I, I would say that probably this is a, a guesstimate of 10% of the horses that present to our hospital probably have some degree of change in their airway consequence of cicatrix. Now, sometimes we can just see it on a scope. Maybe we're, you know, going back there to look, go into the stomach. Maybe the, the horse presents for colic and we're looking at the stomach and we say, oh look, it has cicatrix um, as we're diving down somewhere else. Sometimes they present in life-threatening respiratory distress, and, and that's the, the intent of their visit here. So we see a lot of them. Um, not necessarily that they're causing problems, but that the airway has changed in some way.
0: So is the typical diagnosis then, um, because it's the upper tract, is it a scope or do you ever do more like imaging?
1: Yeah. So uh, the only way we can diagnose it is endoscope right now. So sticking the camera up the nose and into the back of the throat and taking a good look. Um, we have looked into doing ultrasound to see if that would be another way to assess thickening of the airway. And, and so far that's not been very fruitful. Okay. Okay.
0: So thickening of the airway, I'm assuming it, does it thicken it enough that we have um, restriction of airflow so that you're actually impeding airflow then?
1: That's exactly right. Um, It would basically be in in the most severe forms as if the horse were breathing through a straw.
0: Wow. That's a, that's a lot. (laughs) Right. So, um, comparatively then, so I'm learning all kinds of things. So forgive me for lots of questions comparatively, what would that restriction look, you know, I guess I'm familiar more with like the hemiplegia, the laryngeal paralysis, um, that will restrict airflow in a horse. So it, would it be s- similar to that or perhaps even more severe than to our, um, to our horses that have that?
1: Yeah, it could definitely be much more severe. Um, as if when, when we see hemiplasia, that's usually just one of the vocal folds um, or flappers that's, that's not working well. In the case of cicatrics, often both of them are kind of stuck in the down position and, and mm. the airway restriction is much more severe.
0: Wow. So what are our treatment options then if horses are diagnosed with this?
1: yeah, Another great question. So we are very limited in what we can do. Um, the, in the chronic phase of disease where that scar tissue is formed and the airway is restricted to the point that the horse needs better oxygenation, it needs more, more air. Our only treatment option is a permanent tracheostomy oh, wow. where we basically provide a new airway, um, at the level of the trachea. We, that is probably the most common airway surgery we perform in our hospital. There's lots of them that happen here and and that provides a new airway that um, is actually quite successful i get lots of questions of can the horse compete with these and the answer is oftentimes better Um, they're at a bit of an advantage sometimes that now their airway is nice and beautifully open and and they do quite well at the level of performance that most people need them to be at um you know other things of concern is well, now is it going to form somewhere else because the airway starts differently and, and that's not something we've observed. So that that is really our only treatment is the the trach if it gets to that point where they need it.
0: So what is the care level though for like, do they have, um, you just have an opening then uh, into the trachea or do they have to keep that covered? I would think, okay, now you don't have any of the cleaning um, of the air from the upper respiratory tract. You just have like a, a hole into the throat. Isn't that a problem or do you put like a little,
1: filter over it. You know, they do surprisingly great. Um, there is some wound care in the first, um, for sure in the first couple of weeks where it's healing and doing what it needs to do to, to look more normal. Um, so in the first, I'm going to say two to four weeks, there's a lot of just wound goo and, and cleaning that has to happen after about the first month. Um, you can cut that back to about a once daily wipe off with a paper towel and they do fantastic. Um, They are not at higher risk of developing things like pneumonia. Um, The one thing they absolutely cannot do is go swimming in the pond. Um, That's off limits. They are not smart enough to keep their head above the water or their their trach hole above the water. Um, But otherwise really they do quite fantastic.
0: So it seems like do they no longer whinny then either?
1: Yeah, their whinny sounds funny.
0: Because they wouldn't be moving much air at all up through the vocal cord.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. I know. That, so that's completely irrelevant. But I wanted to
1: know. But interesting. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, um, when I had read about this a, a little bit earlier, the other um, treatment option other than the tracheotomy, and this is where the owner was really struggling, was that. I guess there's some research and I, there's not a lot. So I had, I think only run across two papers. And then I, I think you said you've got some new data perhaps that you can share with us, but that removal from pasture, like stalling the horse was actually one of the suggested options.
1: Yeah. So there's been some work that came out of our, our, um, department, uh, Dr. Tracy Norman did some really nice epidemiologic studies, just looking at distribution of disease trying to answer the question why some horses are affected and others are not and the only risk factor that she really identified was um, those horses out at pasture were at higher risk and so to to kind of follow that could we remove horses from pasture and put them in a stall and and reduce the risk of developing disease um, logic would would tell you that um, of course, we all know horses well enough to say that not many of them love to sit in a stall all the time. And next thing you have on your hands is a colic. So we don't advocate to put all the horses in Texas inside. Um, <laughs> the The idea that it can reduce this risk is probably real. and And that really, again, it kind of supports the notion that what causes this? It's probably something outdoors, probably something in our environment, whether it's a bacteria, a fungus, a pollen, some type of allergen, we still don't know.
0: So I assume that's part of the area that um, you're working in recently or more um, treatment options going forward?
1: Yeah, we're interested in, in the, the what causes it. Um, if we can identify what causes disease, perhaps we can then target specifically a treatment option. We have looked into in horses that were Acutely or recently affected with the disease, the bacterial and fungal microbiota of the respiratory tract. So, what's growing there from the bacteria sense, what's growing there from the fungal sense, um, that's never been done before. And this is kind of the the very first step. We have a small sample size in our study. And and what we hope is that with these data, we can proceed forward and investigate further, um, replicate our findings, and, and see if we can really identify what is causing this and, and is it across the board? Just because we found it in this small sample of horses doesn't necessarily mean it's the answer, um, but for sure a step in the right direction.
0: So with the epidemiology on it, did, did you have any ability to say like, is it years of exposure? Like how long does a horse have to live in this area? Or conversely, did they track like, okay, a horse that shows up with this somewhere else you know, a lot of horses come and go through Texas, um, and just in general in the horse industry, horses move around a lot. Is this something that would show up in a different region later because the horse resided in whatever is happening in that little zone?
1: Yeah. Another great question. And and it's hard to answer. Um, what I, I think happens and what we see often is that let's say the horses on a farm are all doing fine, they're normal, their respiratory tracts are normal. And then one day, they start to show some signs. So probably it has more to do with bad luck in the timing than anything that that something came through this month, this week. um, And, and then the consequence of that is the first signs that we see are a little bit of a cough, a little bit of nasal discharge. And at first, it looks just like inflammation. Um, The back of the airway gets really red and that develops into the scar tissue to follow. So probably not, you know, you're coming here for a horse show that you need to be necessarily worried, but you live here for long enough and your pasture may or may not be the one that gets, I'm going to say, quote, hit by whatever it is that comes through.
0: Hmm. So interesting. I'm just thinking, you know, with that environment and the the climate makes you think that maybe uh, it's fungal or something. I don't know, I'm just guessing. But but then I assume you probably have to have the specific weather conditions perhaps at the same time, right? Isn't that the nodality of the disease? So you have to have all of these things um, occurring at the same time to actually result in the syndrome.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think it is definitely going to be a perfect storm of these three or four factors that, that set it up for it to be a problem. What those factors are, I wish I knew.
0: Okay. Well, maybe maybe someday. So does the typical owner then, again, if you're in this region, um, do you go to scopes a lot quicker? And then um, kind of to follow up, if you see some beginning changes, um, is there anything then to do to offset or or prevent these horses from progressing all the way into needing a tracheotomy?
1: Yeah, so we, we do jump to the scope pretty quickly. I think um, probably for sure in our hospital, and I think it's probably fair to say that most um, ambulatory veterinarians in our area are probably also um, along those same lines in their approach because we see it so much. Um, let's rule that in or out first. As far as preventing it from progressing, you know, well, we've tried lots of things, um, the various types of throat sprays that contain anti-inflammatories and steroids and glycerins and antibiotics and kind of fill in the blank with some various topical things that we can squirt up the nose and hope to prevent spread. Um, we have no idea if that helps is the reality. Um, I don't think it ever hurts, but it does seem to be that, you know, may, maybe it does slow the progression, but we just don't know that. Scientifically, no one's looked.
0: All right. Well, I, I'm fascinated and I, I'm gonna be really honest. I'm kind of glad this isn't an Oklahoma
1: thing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, the other thing I'll say is um, there is some very anecdotal speculation that it is pythium is the organism at, um, at cause of this. I will follow that by saying there is exactly no evidence for that. Um, the, the reason that Pythium got, got pinpointed is a little bit because we have Pythium here. There is cicatrix here. So A plus B must equal C. Um, obviously that's very false
0: logic for you there. I don't know what Pythium is.
1: (laughs) Um, Pythium, um, itself is a, a fungal type organism, um, that it often causes more skin lesions, um, really, really bad skin lesions. We think about it, um, not in Oklahoma, we think about it in the kind of wet, um, swampy type areas of the coast. Um, Louisiana has a lot of it. Um, the kind of Houston area has a lot of it. And so that association was made strictly based on, they had it here, we had it there. We have looked for Pythium in the airway of these horses at all stages and have never found it. Um, I bring this up because there are um, individuals that think that vaccination against Pythium might help prevent this disease. Um, And also, true is that nobody has ever shown that that is effective.
0: Well, yeah. And I would assume then if Pythium is in the coast in the humid, then why wouldn't it be in the coast where it's humid?
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The distribution is not exact for sure. Um, it overlaps some, but it is not perfect. And, um, yeah, I think we're all kind of reaching for straws. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could find it and, you know, maybe we can make some logical sense out of this one, but, but there's no science behind it at all. Gotcha.
0: Well, here, I thought maybe Pythium was a weed and you could just pull it up, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Wouldn't
0: that be great? All right. Um, Boy, this is a lot. I don't, what else are we missing that we should go over just to kind of inform host owners that this is a thing and a possibility?
1: Yeah. You, you know, you really hit the big things. Um, not, I would say that for sure those, those in Oklahoma don't need to be panicked. Um, don't stop coming to the, the Texas rodeo because you're worried. Um, you know, I think the risk of that is next to zero and, um, I, I guess what I really hope is that we can soon someday figure it out. And it's been a bit of a struggle. I think part of the reason we haven't answered the questions that we need to answer is from a, a global scope, not that many people are worried about it. Um, relative to other diseases, colic or laminitis or asthma, even that happens throughout the country. The the interest in funding cicatrix research and those things is just much more limited. So um, it will take probably someone in in Texas to do it because we care the most, and and we'll get there. It's Just going to take a little time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd assume it's really hard to you know write grants that are only going to affect counties of Texas and not even the southern U.S. So I could see the challenge there when there's yeah. probably bigger issues that everybody's more concerned with. For
1: sure, for sure.
0: Well, here's hoping some microbiota data can uh, help you. Figure out what the heck is is going on. So it's got to be some sort of elusive little thing in there.
1: You bet, absolutely.
0: Or maybe my weed idea is good. and You should look for a unique weed. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's bad at all. Some sort of weird weed, or weird pollen, or weird grass on. Um, those have all been thrown out there as uh, possibilities. I'd say nothing is off the table at this point.
0: Okay. Well, I hate grass on, so put them on the list. Get rid of them too. i <laughs> will so. yeah, take them all. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate your, your time today. Um, This was super informative uh, and at least, you know, I may not have to worry about getting it, but I learned a ton. um, And so we'll help share this information with other people. Even if you don't live in Texas, I think all horse owners really like learning about kind of new, interesting diseases and at least saying, okay, I can rest easy that that one's not on my list.
1: So yes, (laughs) perfect.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. And again, that has been our TAC Box Talk, Horse Stories and Burgess. This-